Hear the word of the Lord. Words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, by, search out by all wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom, to know much madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much ve- wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let me pray briefly. Jesus, we pray as we come to the word, Lord, that you would bless this time. Bless the preaching. Bless the hearing. God, use it to meet us here now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's a sneaky little move, Ashton, that you do. Prayer is your opportunity to, to grab something on stage and no one can do anything about it. Um, you've heard it before. It, uh, Greek mythology, Sisyphus is that uh, Greek king who uh, is arrogant and uh, he is deceitful. He, he's tricked uh, the god Thanatos, the god of death, twice and gotten away with it, gotten a second chance at life. And so Sisyphus is uh, punished severely by the gods. And his punishment is, you've probably seen the image, Sisyphus is forever doomed to take this boulder and to push it up to the top of the hill. And as soon as it gets to the top of the hill, it rolls back down. And Sisyphus begins over again to push the boulder up the hill only to see it roll back down. This is his fate for all eternity. Camus, the existential philosopher, he uh, compared this image of Sisyphus to humanity's futile search for meaning and truth in a meaningless and indifferent universe, as he said. Sisyphus's task was our plot, our lot in life that is uh, random and is meaningless and purposeless. We just push the rock up and down, back up and down, and that is our life. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. 
vanity of vanities, all is vanities. If you think life will produce uh, what you want it to, as Tim says, if you think you're going to get it all, if you think the grass is greener somewhere else, or in this fix, this relationship, this job, Ecclesiastes is here to burst your bubble. Tebel, he says, um, the Hebrew, it, it, means, it, it means vanity or it can be translated as meaningless. It's the idea of vapor. It's, uh, this morning I was up pretty early and I was outside and you could see my breath for a second and then poof, it's gone, right? Or maybe you're doing the campfire and you see the smoke come, but then the smoke is gone. And he says, that's Hebel. Meaningless. Vanity. That's the testimony of the world. Camus said it. Other non-believers have said it. Novelist Henry Miller says this, Life has to be giving a meaning because of the obvious fact that it has no meaning. Comedian Louis C.K., some of you know him, fairly irreverent. In 2013, he did an interview with Conan O'Brien in a pretty honest moment. He said this, Underneath everything in your life, there's that thing. That empty. Forever empty. Just that knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone. You, you know it's deep down there. And sometimes you're in your car and you start going, Oh no, here it comes that I'm alone. You know it starts to visit you. Just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. Comedians are insightful because they're always on the edge. They see things others don't see. He's honest. One more. Leonard Wolf, the famous publisher, political theorist. He helped founded the, the Bloomsbury Group. His wife, the famous uh, author, Virginia Woolf. Even after writing over 200 books on literature and politics... Economics, he says this, I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the last five to seven years would be exactly the same as if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather shameful confession that I have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. All is vanity. That's the testimony of the world. If you, if you don't know the Lord, the non-believer, that is the story true through and through. But here, it's not just a testimony of the world, it's a testimony of the preacher. It's the testimony of the Bible, the testimony of Solomon. Our uh, family likes to go, uh, we like to go hiking, and we like to go to national parks, and um, it's just something we enjoy doing, and, uh, but, but there's a couple in our family um, that are a little bit more apt and able uh, to hike than some of us, and uh, somewhere along the, the more difficult treks, my daughter Abigail and I, about two-thirds up, are like, I don't know, what do you think? And Ab Abigail says, I got an idea. Mom, why don't you and Aiden, the, the hard chargers, why don't y'all get to the top and then you come back down and you can tell us if it's worth it. Uh, true. 
Um, that's what Solomon does for us. I've been there, done that. The wealthy, the great, the wisest, the king of Israel. The king of Israel means the appointed person by God to rule over his people. This is not a small matter. He's not a pagan king over a small kingdom. He's over God's chosen people. One author says, Solomon climbed the golden ladder and he got to the top and he looked over the edge and he came back down to tell us it's not worth it. All is vanity. Uh, The problem is... um, the problem is we don't believe Him. <laughs> we, we live striving after one thing after another. If I have this, or if I have that, or this job, or this promotion, or this relationship, or this degree, or this house, or this vacation, or this reputation, or this amount of sex, or this amount of money, or this amount of whatever it may be, then I'll be satisfied. And, and, and there are a few that have made it, and they've told us, it's not worth it. Tom Brady, after winning four Super Bowls, is it enough? No, i got to win one more, right? The wealthiest people, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. They've told us, and we said, no way. Because we're striving, we're pursuing. Stephen Crane, in his short poem, says this, I saw a man pursuing the horizon. Round and round they sped. I was disturbed at this. I accosted the man. I tried to stop him. It's futile, I said. You can never. But he interrupted. You lie, he said. And he ran on. Solomon has come back and said it's not worth it. And we said, you're lying, Solomon. It's a lie. And we continue to strive after the wind. If we would listen, it would be a gift to us. If we would take to heart His words, it would be a blessing. But wisdom says most of us won't learn that way. We'll have to learn the hard way. We'll have to hit rock bottom. The world says it. The Bible says it. All is vanity. But there's obviously a catch. Because because if you know how language works, He's already shown His cards, right? He's saying it's meaningless or vanity, either one of those words. It's meaningless, and yet he keeps writing. Right? It's meaningless, and I'm going to keep writing because what I'm saying, I believe, has meaning. It's a contradiction. It's, uh, it's in the same line of someone that says, there's no absolute truth today. Right? As soon as they've said that, they violated the very thing they said. Right? They made a truth claim that there's nothing absolute, right? which violates their very principle that nothing's absolute. It's inconsistent. So, he's up to something. He keeps going on for 12 chapters. If it was all meaningless, it would be period. But he kept going. He wants us to get it. He wants us to understand there's a purpose behind his writing. The clue, I think, is in verse 3. I hinted at it last week. It's in the word gain. Verse 3, it's the pivotal question. It says, Uh, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, the word gain tends to think of like financial, profit, loss, gain. I don't think he's meaning it in that sense. What what does man get? What does he accomplish? What satisfies him? What fills his heart? What does man 
satisfied with, with all his toil under the sun. Solomon's going to say nothing satisfies. And he's going to warn us to pry our fingers off and to let go if we will listen. The rest of the chapter really shows us where, he, where Solomon looked, where we look for gain. So we're going to look at at least three places he mentions that we look for gain, but we can't find it. The first one is uh, the vanity of humanity. I like that because it rhymed. Vanity of humanity. Um, we look for hope in humanity, in ourselves and one another. Uh, look at verse 4. A generation comes and goes, but the earth remains forever. Life moves on. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop for people, and people are soon forgotten. He goes on, verse 11, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Generations come and generations go. Um, do you know the names uh, Marilyn Monroe or Doris Day or Frank, Frank Sinatra? Do you know uh, Mickey Mantle or uh, Lucille Ball? I had to Google. I had to Google like top most famous people from the 1950s. You've probably heard some of those names, right? Maybe from a grandparent or parent. But you know virtually nothing about them, right? Maybe you know a little bit. Uh, they come and they go. Do you know the stars of 2020 will be the same way? Your grandkids, well, you'll hear a name and your grandkids are like, who is that? And you're like, what do you mean who is that? That's like... Few people, names will be remembered. Zach Eswine shares the humbling reality that when he was in, members that the oldies station used to play songs from the 1950s, 40s and 50s. And now they realize the oldies station plays songs from the 1980s when he was in high school. Generations come and go. That song that you love right now, 20-year-old, one day your grandkids, great-grand, will be like, man, that's so old school. Wow. It's crazy. Listen to this music. Can you believe they listen to that kind of stuff? Because it comes and it goes. LeBron James will be forgotten. Irrelevant. So will you and I. I remember, um, I remember my, my dad died. I've shared that story in passing before or at times. But he, he died in a day and it was a tragic day. Unexpected. And I remember I went to my mom's house and uh, that night uh, trying to sleep and, and laying in bed and hearing, hearing the cries from my mom and the wails and hearing my sisters cry and my own bed soaked with tears. Uh, didn't sleep much. Um, the agony, the heartache. And then the next day... Um, I was somewhat shocked, but the sun came up. I was somewhat surprised. I was somewhat angered. It was like there was no respect for my pain in some way. Like life's just going to continue to happen. I, I remember I sat down. I didn't eat much, but I ate toast. And I was thinking, my dad died. I'm eating toast with butter. Like, like is there... Does anyone not care what just happened? Is there no respect or reverence 
and then it's gone. Life comes and life goes. The sun rises and the sun sets. Man, man is forgotten, the preacher says. It's the point of verses 4 to 7. The earth appears to be unaffected. It outlasts us. The same sun that Adam and Eve saw in the garden is the same sun we see. Generations come and generations go. The wind blows. The water returns to the sea. We can't put our hope in humanity. Vanity. If you hope in your life, if you hope in other humans, you can't find the answer. Solomon says. We try to find gain in humanity, but we can't. We Secondly, we try to find gain in creation. The vanity of creation. A creation seems unaffected. Uh, and so it seems unaffected, so we try to put our hope in the creation. We try to put our hope in something in this life that seems to be consistent. But then verse 8 says, after speaking of creation, says this, All things are full of weariness. The sun even gets tired. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now it's true that nature and creation do a lot for the soul, right? I mean, we need to see the mountains. We need to see the ocean. We need to see the temperature change. Thank the Lord, right, for the weather. Um, we need, if you're depressed and you live in a snowbound area, you need to go outside. You need to see the sun, right? Snowbirds come to the south to have some sun. We need to see it. Creation helps us, and yet it even gets tired and can't solve the problem. Romans 8 says that creation groans in futility. It's in the same vein, vanity. It groans, waiting as a woman in childbirth. To be satisfied for redemption. The eye sees something beautiful, it says, and then have to see something else beautiful, and something else beautiful, and something else beautiful, because we just forgot what was so beautiful. We can't contain it. We try to save it, and then it's gone. It's like vapor, it's like chasing after the wind. We're never satisfied. Or the ear, he says, we hear that new song, and it's so good, and it's our favorite song, and maybe it gets played too much, and all of a sudden we don't like that song anymore. We need another new song, and then we need another song, and we need another song, because even the best of creation can't satisfy us. Even after the best steak dinner, you know, that filet mignon, you know, a good cab, you know, you know maybe a baked potato, I don't know what you eat, whatever it is. You still eat breakfast the next day, right? Like, it's so good. I'm just oatmeal, some cereal. You got to do it again three times the next day, right? It can't satisfy. It can't do it. It's under the sun. Um, Zach Eswine says this in his commentary. Creation is like a shoe store for someone needing medicine. It can provide something good for us, but it cannot satisfy our truest need. Why? Solomon says in verse 9 and 10, it's under the sun. Verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing in which it says, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before. We think we found something. This is the new answer. It's the iPhone 
27, right? It's like this big, or I don't know, if it's bigger, smaller, camera's better, I don't know. Solomon didn't have the iPhone, so okay. There's new inventions. People in the 1800s didn't have the internet, right? That's not the point. The point is that the human heart longs under the sun for toil after toil to find something that will satisfy, that will quench our longings, and we're insatiable. It cannot provide the gain to which we long for. The good as creation is, it has its limitations. We can't find gain in humanity. We can't find gain in creation. The rest of the chapter, Solomon gets personal. We can't find gain even in wisdom. Perhaps it's wisdom, he says. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done in the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has, been, has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I got to the top, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. Solomon pursued it. He sought to acquire it, and he got it. He got wisdom. Surpassing the king before him. You know who that was? That was King David. Man after God's own heart. It's all vanity. I sought wisdom from madness and folly. Wisdom... Madness and folly there is the opposite of wisdom. It's the proverb language. Remember, it's the the pursuit of disobedience. It's the the path of righteousness and the path of unrighteousness. I sought to know morality. I sought to know right from wrong. But even morality can't find, can't give you the answer. Traditional morality. uh, Sometimes people, when you want to find the life, you try religion. And you try, if I can know good from evil, right from wrong, I do the right things, I go to the right services, I do the right things, then I'll have life and meaning. And Solomon says it's not there. Even in doing right from wrong, the an- that's not the answer. Did you know that? And so non-Christian people, secular people will say, uh, the good life is doing good to others and serving and caring for others and, and being kind and being nice. And certainly we want people to be kind and be nice. I want good neighbors. But Solomon says traditional or conventional morality will not satisfy, it will not quench the longing of the heart under the sun. It's failed to satisfy the soul. 17, I perceive that, that this also, even wisdom, don't you want your kids to pursue wisdom? Even that. Is like running around the backyard trying to catch the wind. Right? He concludes in verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. Right? You know, ignorance is bliss. You know that statement? That's what he says. Like, aren't there things, some things you don't want to know? Like once you learned it, you're like, man. So not only is wisdom not the answer, sometimes wisdom makes it worse. Sometimes you know more and you actually have to do something with it. I love when Bryce sings to me. Thank you, Bryce. 
What is crooked, verse 15, cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. So, you know what? The hard reality is some things that are broken won't be fixed in this life. They're just broken. Some things that are, that are messed up are going to go messed up. Some of that bad relationship with your parent, your mom, your dad will go to the grave unresolved. Sometimes wisdom tells you things like that and you'd rather not hear it. I heard this week about uh, Ravi Zacharias. Some of you know him, really like him. He passed away in the spring. And if you saw the, the, uh, the new, new uh, accusations against him uh, about sexual harassment, Several people have come forward. He, he died. Really admire him. He's done great work. One of the greatest Christian thinkers of the 20th century. And there's all these allegations. And I'm, part of me says, I, I really wish I didn't know that. You know, I, don't, I, I held this guy in high esteem. He's done great things. But now I know, which means now I've got to do that. Now I've got to wrestle with that reality of this godly man that's done some great things, has done apparently some very, very, very harmful things. What do you do in your heart with that? you got to wrestle. It would be much nicer to have this clean image and be happy and read books, right? But that wouldn't be right. There are victims. There are people to be accounted for. Sometimes wisdom can even make it worse. What's the point? Even human wisdom cannot give us the answer to life. Cannot show us the meaning. So it's not in humanity. It's not in creation. It's not an even wisdom. So what do you do? Um, this is the point where evangelical Christian circles, we want, uh, we want the like gospel moment and the preacher to tell us the answer. <laughs> but Solomon doesn't really do that. Solomon's not a televangelist. Solomon's not a faith healer. Solomon doesn't have holy water from the Jordan River that if you just pay a hundred bucks, you get the easy answer. Solomon's, he, he, he's not going to do that. He's going to make us wrestle with what it means to deal with the Lord, to walk through the painful discomfort of wrestling with God in a gainless world under the sun. It's, uh, it's like... Uh, it's like the kid at night that you have to give the medicine to, and it's the, it's the yucky kind. It's not the amoxicillin and stuff that tastes pretty good that they like down that stuff, right? You got to keep them away from that stuff. It's the like yucky stuff that you, you know it's going to bring the smile back in the morning, but they don't want to take it, and it's not comfortable. But you like, you need to drink it all. It's going to help the fever, help the, and they're like, oh. that's what Solomon does. It's like twelve chapters of that. But there is a hint, he says in verse 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The toil, the discomfort, the pain, the wrestling, the sort of ambivalence is God-given. The futility outside of Eden is God-given. God has put us in the place to wrestle under the sun with the brokenness of the world. He didn't fix it. He didn't quick fix. He didn't make it go away. You're in this place and God is sovereign and rules over it. 
How do you feel about that? And you can misread that and think God is just stern and mean. Or maybe we've misread Him. Maybe though Adam and Eve and you and I will live in the cursed realities of this world east of Eden, outside of the garden. We still live, right? We're still here. It's cursed, it's broken, but we're still alive. Wait, our heart's beating, I think. We're still breathing in oxygen. We're still alive on this planet to wrestle, to experience. And perhaps the sternness of God is there to show us that if we're going to be rescued, it's going to have to come from somewhere else. That if we're going to rescue, be rescued, our striving, our toiling is not going to come under the sun. Maybe this is a solution. Maybe we have to get above the sun. Maybe we've got to get outside of it. Or maybe, maybe the one outside of it, maybe the one that made the sun, that spoke the sun, the creator that lives outside of the sun, maybe that one has to enter in under the sun. Right? Maybe we can't find it here, and maybe we can't get above the line, the creation-creator distinction. It's impenetrable this way. Maybe something above the sun will have to actually come down under the sun and have to squint and sweat under the sun like you and I. We'll have to experience the gainlessness of the world, the suffering and the futility and the pain and the suffering. Jesus would say these words, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus knows the vanity of life. In that way, he sounds like Solomon, the greater Solomon. He goes further than Solomon, though, because in the vain world, under the sun, Jesus declares these words, and I'll leave you with this. It's a hint at where we're going. Jesus says this, the world has tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The answer is coming. The answer has come. But the preacher wants us to give up the search. To look for a rescue. To look for a solution outside. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for hard, really confusing words, difficult words. And yet I believe words that are meant to give life. I pray that we would wrestle with them, we would know them, we would seek them. And in doing it, Lord, we would be we, we would believe Solomon, it's not worth it. I've been to the top. I've accomplished it. I've achieved it. There is no gain under the sun. May our eyes and our heart look elsewhere. May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we come to the paradoxes of the gospel that um, we can't find life under the sun, uh, and yet we give, we're given bread to eat. 
<laughs> right? It, it won't happen in the ordinary, the basic, and yet we're given ordinary and basic. And somehow, in Christ, they get redeemed. And something like bread and wine are pointers, or signals to some greater reality that we might find something deeper. Do you see what Solomon's doing? He, he's trying to disabuse the surface level, shallow Christianity. And he's trying to make us go somewhere that we don't want to go. We're having to go to death. And uh, only in death can we know life and can we know joy. And it's not just uh, the words of Scripture, it's the demonstration of Scripture. It's the gospel message. The Lord's Supper is the picture. It is the body broken of Christ. It's His blood shed for us. It's the meal He's given us to nourish us because we lack nourishment, because we grow tired and weary and restless. Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took the bread, and after giving thanks, He broke it. And He said, this is My body. He is subject to the Son, just like you and I are. You and, I are. and it's been broken for you and I. He took the cup, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood that has been poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus would know what it means to bleed, to suffer. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim His death until He comes again. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for these elements, bread and wine. May they feed us as we wrestle, as we question, as we delve into really hard things, really fuzzy, unclear things, would we find something solid, something to taste, something to touch, something to eat. We find it in the Gospel. Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. May we lift up our hearts tonight. May we know the goodness of God even in our struggle. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.